0: Amen. It's good to see all of you this morning. I want to greet you and welcome you. I know there's a few of you here I haven't got a chance to meet yet. We're glad that you've come to worship with us this morning. My name is J.D. Summers. I serve as pastor here. And I also want to greet those who are watching at home. Uh, You're loved, you're missed, and it's a joy to know that uh, though some of us may be separated physically, we can be one in spirit, one in heart, as we come before our Heavenly Father on the basis of the name and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, our sins are many, but his mercy is more. And that's what I needed to hear this morning. It's what we all needed to be reminded of this morning. And it's a joy to share that faith in Christ. I want to invite you to turn this morning once again to the book of Exodus. We've been working through this book slowly but surely, and today brings us to Exodus chapter 16. Well, 2021 is sort of picking up right where 2020 left off, isn't it? Um, somewhat upping the ante even. they are some tumultuous things happening. Um, At least for us Americans, we're not really used to this. If you've traveled much or if you sort of watch international news, you know that a lot of countries are somewhat accustomed, sadly, to corruption and chaos and violence and unrest. Uh, It's a regular occurrence for them, but for many of us, this kind of feels new. Maybe we're not used to all of this. There's a lot of shifts happening right now in our society. And that really makes this the perfect time to go to church. Um, I was reminded this week um, of what the book of Acts tells us that the apostles turned the world upside down and they did it without the internet they did it without the blessing or even the permission of governmental authorities they turned the world upside down with their preaching preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ it's the proclamation of truth and the hearing of truth that has power real power eternal power more power more power than our government, more power than big tech, more power than big personalities and whatever influence they can wield, more power than cultural movements. And that's why the most meaningful thing you can do today is go to church and you have the most meaningful thing you can do today to position yourself to have lasting impact on the world, to prepare for whatever opposition or opportunities may come is to be at church to put your eyes on Jesus Christ, to listen to his word, to worship and fear and trust God alone. So what we get the joyful privilege of doing this morning is turning down the noise on the world, turning down the noise of our own hearts, our frustrations, our anxieties, our uncertainties, and we get to turn the volume up on God's word because that's what we need. That's what you need. That's what our church needs. That's what our world needs. And we have God's word. So let's pray and ask that God would speak to us in power through his word this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you confessing our ongoing need for your truth, for the ministry of your spirit in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to put aside all distractions, our concerns, our frustrations with people and with what's happening in our world, what may be happening in specific relationships even, Lord, give us an attentiveness to your word. Help us to be careful to listen and to hear and to trust and to obey. We pray your blessing in our time together. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, it's fun to be in a new building. Um, it's fun to have bathrooms that work. It's fun to have a fan that's squeaky. Do you want to turn that fan off for me? Sometimes this fan squeaks and sometimes it doesn't. Stephen is a deacon who's going to serve us by turning the fan off today. But Exodus chapter 16, that's why we're here today. So crisis is really an inevitable experience for all of us. Um, Crisis presents really an obstacles, obstacles that we have to overcome. It presents maybe needs. Crisis can be um, uh, a loss or a challenge that we have to face. But crisis is also always a moment of opportunity. It's an opportunity, to an opportunity to see God more clearly. Crisis is an opportunity for us to grow in our faith and to experience God's grace in new ways. And that's why Christians are encouraged to rejoice in times of trial, and and things like that. We can have joy because we know who God is and we know the kinds of things that God is always doing especially when things get hard. Last week we saw that the nation Israel faced a crisis in the desert. It was a, a crisis of having no water. They journeyed for three days into the wilderness with no water, and they arrived at Mara, their destination, and they came to the water only to find it was bitter, and it could not satiate their thirst. It could not preserve their life. But that was an opportunity to see God at work. God provided for them. He made the bitter water to be fresh. And we saw last week that this was really a test of their faith. It was a test of their faith that showed them where they really were, which is probably what's happening to a lot of us over this past 12 months, showing us where we really are, testing our faith. But also in this experience at Mara, there was a lesson for them to learn. God provided an object lesson as he told Moses to throw that log, that tree, into the water and he told them and we see this at the end of chapter 15 if, in verse 26 if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes i will put none of the diseases on you that i put on the egyptians for i am the Lord your healer verse 25 tells us this was a statute and a rule that he gave to his people he was teaching them showing them what they needed to learn So that lesson was learned, right? They got it. Never to doubt or grumble again. Never to face a time of crisis and fail to look to God as their ultimate source of provision. Um, No, that's not what happened. And these people are going to be tested again. They're going to be given another opportunity to trust God, another opportunity to see him work, another opportunity to learn who he really is and to experience firsthand, personally, his grace. The setting of chapter 16 tells us this is one month after leaving Egypt. Verse 16, verse 1, or chapter 16, verse 1, "...they set out from Elam, that place where they had been refreshed, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin." which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And what happened there? Well, verse 2 says, "...the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full." For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. These people had been thirsty, but this time they're hungry. Thirty days in the wilderness had exhausted their supplies from Egypt. Remember, they had left fully supplied. They had taken their dough with them with no yeast in it because they didn't have time. But now everything that they had taken with them was now used up. So now what? What? Now what's going to happen? Well, this was their opportunity. It was their chance to apply what they had learned at Mara that God would provide for their needs. But instead, they grumble again, and they say, we wish God would have killed us with the plagues. We wish God would have covered us in the Red Sea instead of bringing us out here to starve. How's that for gratitude? God, we wish you wouldn't have saved us, but instead it would have been better to just die there. They say, at least Egypt was an all-you-can-eat experience. We sat by the meat pots and we had bread to the full. Conveniently here, they seem to have forgotten their great affliction and their cries to God begging him to show mercy to them. And they accuse God of bringing them out to kill them with hunger. They say, God, we don't believe in your covenant promise that you're going to bring us out of the land of Egypt to worship you on the mountain and that from there you're going to bring us into the promised land and bless us. They say, no, God, we think you actually are doing something different. We don't believe your promise. You brought us out here to kill us, didn't you? They've forgotten God's provision at Mara, short-term memory loss. But even worse, they're doubting his covenant purposes. This is their grumbling. So what does God do? Well, as always, God takes this crisis and he uses it. It's an opportunity, just like every crisis that you and I face, So what opportunities are to be found in times of crisis? I want to share from this story four different opportunities that we have in times of crisis. And the first we find in verses 4 through 12, and it's this. Crisis is an opportunity to see the glory of God. Look in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You will know my name, the I am, Yahweh, the self-existent God. This is not the first time we've seen this kind of language, is it? This is why God did what he did in Egypt with the plagues. This is why God brought his people out. This is why he parted the Red Sea and defeated the the, the armies of Pharaoh so that everyone would know that he is the Lord, so they would know his name, so they would know his power, so they would see his purposes on display. That's what people needed to see. That's what these people need to see, and that's why God is going to do what he's about to do. Crisis is an opportunity to see the glory of God. He desires to make himself known so that he might be feared and trusted and worshipped and obeyed. You see, when God works gloriously on our behalf in times of crisis, when he he provides for what we need, he shows us his power, that he is able. When he meets our needs, he shows that he is faithful, he keeps his promises. He shows us that he is good and that he, he accomplishes and furthers his purposes for us. And when you and I see that happening, we see God for who he is, which leads us to fear and trust in worship. Verses 4 through 5, God speaks to Moses and Aaron and says, listen, I'm going to provide. I'm going to give you daily bread from heaven. And I'm going to give you a double portion on the sixth day. God promises to meet their need. God promises to meet their need. They're not going to starve. He has not brought them out into the wilderness to kill them, contrary to what they're saying. His purpose is to bring them into the promised land. And he's going to meet their needs along the way. And he's saying, listen, I'm not just going to feed you today. I'm going to feed you every day, seven days a week. This promise of provision shows them once again his power, his goodness, his faithfulness. But it's also going to be a test for them. He says it's going to be a test for them. Verse 4, he's going to rain bread from heaven. The people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, he says, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, just like with the changing of the water at Marah, God's provision here comes with instructions. Instructions that will test whether or not the people will trust him enough to obey. Moses and Aaron speak to the people in verses 6 through 8. And they tell them, listen, your short-term memory loss about who God is and the kinds of things that God is able to do, that's going to be refreshed. God is going to remind you so that you know who he is. You see, their real problem is not a lack of food. The real problem was a lack of the knowledge of God. And so God wasn't just going to fill their bellies. He was going to meet that deeper spiritual need by showing them who he is. Now, it's kind of interesting as you read through the sort of the dialogue here in the back and forth. Moses and Aaron say, God has heard your grumbling. Now, listen closely because here's what God is going to do. And you might almost brace yourself thinking that Moses and Aaron are going to announce God's judgment because they say, you grumblers, listen up. God has heard you. You're about to see his glory. Now, everybody scoot close and look. And you might say, "Uh uh-oh, the hammer is about to fall. But that's not what happens They all brace themselves for impact because God has heard their grumbling and now the God of glory is about to address them. And what does he say? He says, get ready for a meal. I'm going to feed you. This is such a gracious and merciful response. And it shows us God's glory. Yes, they saw God's glory in the cloud as as they saw his presence manifested there in the wilderness as as they looked out to see. But in God's provision, in this word of grace, That is glory as well. It's glory. God is faithful to provide. He gives grace even to grumblers. You know, when we face times of crisis, times of need, it really is an opportunity for us to see God's glory, to see God at work, to see his faithfulness proven once again. It's an opportunity for us to experience his grace. When we go through hard things, challenging things, the things that... that, even seem to shake us. It's at those moments that we are reminded who God is. It's in these experiences that the things that we know, that that maybe we learned a long time ago, the things that maybe we've forgotten, they are freshly seen and experienced, almost rediscovered as it were. These people had seen God's plagues in Egypt. They had seen the Red Sea parted. They had seen water made fresh. But now they're grumbling again, thinking God intends to kill them. God says, I'm going to show you who I am. When we experience God in fresh ways, in an immediate sense, in those times of crisis, God is known, not just as a distant memory, not just as an abstract theory, but as an immediate experience. And we need those experiences. Crisis is an opportunity. To see God's glory. God appears to the people in verses 9 through 12. They look out into the distance and see exactly who it is that they're grumbling against. Uh, The great I am. The self-existent, self-sustaining God. The one who dwells in unapproachable light. The all-consuming fire. They see him. And they know that this is the God who's going to graciously feed them. He promises quail and bread and he says that they will be filled, which is interesting. That's the same word they used in their complaint. They grumbled and said, we ate bread to the full. God says, I will feed you and not just feed you to keep you alive. You will be satisfied. You will be filled. Now, there complaint i've I've thought about this this week we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full is that really true maybe it was maybe they really did maybe they maybe they really were fed very well by their overlords to make sure that they were strong enough to get a lot of work done that's possible but it's also possible that they're conveniently remembering things in a certain way i think maybe we all do that at times And even today, people will look at what's going on in our nation and long for the good old days, you know, back when America was different. Maybe our memories are a little bit rose-colored glasses at times. So whether this is true, that they used to eat to the full in Egypt, whether it's just exaggeration and wishful thinking, who knows, but God tells them, listen, I'm going to not just feed you and keep you alive, I'm going to satisfy your hunger. I'm going to... Meet your needs and make you full. Again, this just blows me away that God would do this for them when they're grumbling and complaining like they are. But again, it shows us God's glory. He's not just a provider, He's a glorious provider. His glory is seen in His grace, His power, His goodness, His faithfulness. And these people wouldn't have known that. They wouldn't have experienced that. They wouldn't have learned that without facing this crisis. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. But secondly, crisis is also an opportunity not just to see the glory of God, but to experience the provision of God. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but we see this in verses 13 through 18. What God says would happen comes to pass. In the evening, it says, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, as fine as the frost, on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, that's about two quarts, half a gallon, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, Some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So God sends them a meal that night quail. These are migratory birds, and they, after flying for a long time, if you've ever hunted quail in Kansas like I have, you know that they're not really built for long distance flight. And so when they're all exhausted like that, they're pretty easy to catch by hand. And these people did. They had quail. And in the morning, they had this manna, this bread from heaven. And some people try to explain this in some sort of naturalistic way. You know, the the manna saying maybe this is some sort of sugary secretion from insects that feasted on the sap of certain trees. Or maybe it was a certain kind of lichen that grows. And you can go to this region and find those kinds of things, but it's seasonal. It doesn't last for 40 years, year-round. Uh, daily and it'd be impossible to gather this much of it to feed a couple million people so this is very evidently a miraculous provision by God through natural means in directing all of these quail to in their migrations to all go land at the same spot and also in supernatural means creating and sending bread from heaven this is a divine miracle and it wasn't just a one-time event it became a daily experience God provided for them in this way again and again and again They were hungry and they thought they were going to die, but this was not God's plan. God led them here and now he would feed them. He would meet their daily needs. And this is important that they learn that this is who their God is. That they experience his faithful provision because they knew the Lord had saved them from bondage. They had seen that, experienced that. But now they doubted if he would meet their daily needs. Maybe you can relate. We can look back in our lives and say, God has done great things for me. Here was this unique experience. Here was my salvation, or here was a major crisis that I was rescued from, or or, or something. But what about the little daily things? Does God care about those? Will God be with me tomorrow? That's what God was showing them. They needed to learn God was not only the one who powerfully saves, He's also the one who faithfully provides. He is the God of historical salvation. And also the God of daily provision. Over and over and over again, they would experience his faithful provision. Grace upon grace upon grace. As we experience God's good gifts, as he provides for our needs on a daily basis, that experience is meant to point us to the giver. To see that it is from God's hand that these things come so that we would know that he is the Lord, the great I am, and so that we would understand his character is to provide for his children, that he loves us enough to save us and also enough to be with us and provide for our daily needs. And remember, this is why God did this. It's not just because they were hungry. He did this for his glory, not just because they needed food that day, but because they needed to see God rightly so that they could trust him fully crisis is an opportunity to experience God's provision. We hate crisis. We don't like trials. We don't like to be faced with needs. We don't like to experience lack, but it's in those moments that we see God work, that we experience his grace. But third, crisis is also an opportunity to respond to the word of God. It's an opportunity to respond to the word of God. As as we said last week, so often we face times of trial or danger or crisis, and we tend to say, God, what are you going to do? Well, we have the answer for that. He's going to be faithful. The better question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to do the things that God has instructed us to do? Are we going to demonstrate our faith by obeying him, keeping his commandments? Their provision came with instruction. So, how did they do with that? Look in verse 19. Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it, any of this manna, over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Once again, provision comes with instructions. Their instructions are to gather an omer. That's two quarts, half a gallon per person. And that's enough for one day. It's enough to meet their needs that day. Now they had to go out in the morning and look for it, it would burn up later in the heat of the day. So there's an act of obedience here, getting up out of your tent, going out into the wilderness, expecting that what God said he would give us is going to be there. And they're supposed to get a specific amount. This is a test of their faith. And they're told to eat all of it, no leftovers. Now, how is that a test of faith? Well, they're supposed to believe that there's going to be more tomorrow. So I don't have to ration this and make it last longer than just today. God has met my needs today, today. And he'll meet my needs for tomorrow, tomorrow. Now, the exception for this was on the sixth day. They were to gather twice as much so that they can rest on the Sabbath. Now, this also is a test of faith. Because on that other day, when they tried to get extra and they saved some for the next morning, it rotted. It it spoiled. It had maggots and smelled awful. Moses was angry. (laughs) He said, guys, that's exactly what God just told you not to do. And you did it. And you experience the consequences. Don't do it that way. Now, this is also a test of faith. Gather twice as much on the sixth day, but it's going to stink and have worms and, and rot like the other stuff did. But no, that's not what happened. It was preserved for them. Again, this is God's miraculous provision. But some of them still go out on the seventh day. Maybe we need to get some extra. Maybe there won't be enough for tomorrow. So they're struggling with this test. The test is whether or not, like chapter 15 says, they would listen and do all that God had commanded, whether they would give ear and keep everything that he had instructed. Now, previously, Moses had been a model for them at Marah. Round one of this exact lesson, God tells Moses to do something. Moses obeys and all the people's needs are met. So Moses was a good model. Of listening to God's instructions, doing as he commanded, and then experiencing God's blessing. Now it was the people's turn. They now have the responsibility to listen and to obey and then experience God's provision. But they don't do it very well. Some of the people gather extra and save it, some people go out on the Sabbath. And this is a problem at two levels. It's a problem because this disobedience shows that they are not trusting God to provide and they feel that they must take matters into their own hands. Isn't that so often how our unbelief manifests itself? When I don't trust God enough, well, I have to trust something and someone. And typically it means I try to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to mitigate the risk. I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to make sure I solve this by doing it my way. Disobedience to God's commands here shows they're not trusting him to to provide. But it also tells us something even worse, something that goes deeper. It shows that they had a greater regard for their physical needs than they did for their need to to respond in a spiritual sense to God, rightly. They cared more about the needs of their body than the needs of their soul. They valued the physical over the spiritual. They were more concerned with a meal Than with knowing God and being rightly related to Him. And that is an indictment. We should probably stop at this point and ask ourselves: what matters most to us? Make it personal. What are the things that concern you the most? What is it that weighs on your heart the most? Is it physical needs? Is it the, the pressures of living in this world? Or is it God's word that lands on you with the most weight? Is it God's word that shapes your concerns? Is it the fear of God that displaces all the lesser fears? For these people, it was very apparent they had greater regard for physical needs than they did for their spiritual response to God. And this makes Moses angry, verses 19 through 20. But it also displeases God in verse 28. Now to this point, God has been patient with their grumbling two different times. At Mara, he heard their grumbling and he graciously provided, changing the water to be fresh. Now here, he hears their grumbling again and he graciously provides manna and quail for them. And they still continue to evidence that they don't trust him. And so this deserves a rebuke. And this rebuke is given through the spokesman of Moses. He he says it directly to Moses, knowing that Moses will pass on these words to the people. How long, verse 28, will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? It's like, guys, I've been trying to teach you this. I've given you multiple examples, object lessons. I've proven myself. When are you going to start trusting me enough to obey? He rebukes them. God has done so much for these people, yet they continue to doubt and disobey. Well, the people eventually get the point. They eventually come to the place of obedience, even if they stumble along the way. In verse 30, it says, so the people rested on the seventh day. Okay, God, we'll do what you say. And this physical rest is a picture of the spiritual necessity of resting in God's promise and provision. This rest Not going out to try to find manna. Not going out looking for quail. The decision to stay at home in their tent and rest is a picture of the spiritual necessity of resting in God's promise and provision. It's an expression of their faith. God, we trust you that you will provide tomorrow. We trust you that this extra portion we gathered yesterday isn't going to spoil. We'll have what we need for today. It's an expression of faith. And that's really the point of this whole story. Trust God enough to obey him. Rest in his promise and provision. He will meet our needs and he will be enough for us. God desires, listen, God desires faith and obedience from his people, from you and from me. That is the expression of our faith. Crisis is an opportunity to respond to the word of God. When things get crazy, when things get scary, when things get difficult, will you trust God enough to obey? Fourth, and finally, crisis is also an opportunity to remember the faithfulness of God. It's an opportunity to remember what God has done in the past. Verse 31 says, Now the house of Israel called its name, referring to the bread, manna. It was like coriander seed, white, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Crisis is an opportunity to remember the faithfulness of God. Now, this wasn't the last time that these people would need God to work on their behalf, it wasn't the last time they would need Him to provide. And it wasn't the last time they would need to remember his provision in the past as they face new challenges. So Moses gives them instructions. This is a meal to be remembered. This jar would be kept in the tabernacle as a testimony to God's faithful provision. You see, forgetfulness was a problem for them. I mean, they're hungry, and so they grumble. It's like, did you forget what just happened at Marah? Forgetfulness is always a problem for us. And so this is supposed to help remedy that problem. Later, when the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were constructed, this jar was to be placed there before the testimony. It was to be kept there as a memorial. Remembrance is an essential aspect of their worship, a testimony to God's faithful provision. It's important for us, as we worship God, to remember what he has done. It's something that moves us to worship and encourages us to persevere in our faith because if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. And what we see is that God was faithful to them throughout their time in the wilderness. They didn't realize at this point they were gonna be out there for 40 years. And for 40 years, God would daily provide for them. Now, we are so familiar with this story, many of us familiar with this number that we sort of just gloss on by this, but think about it, 40 years. They lived for 40 years Because God daily provided and sustained their lives. Six days of manna for 40 years. Double for the Sabbath on the 7th. This is an amazing statement. That God fed them daily for 40 years. Every day giving them what they needed. Crisis is an opportunity to remember the faithfulness of God. We too have been given a meal. Bread to help us remember what God has provided for us. Remembering is good. And when you face those times of crisis, stop and remember who God is. Remember what God has done and let that remembrance strengthen your faith that God will be faithful today and he'll be faithful tomorrow with the things that we don't even know that are going to happen yet because that's who he is. That's an opportunity we have every time crisis rises. We all are going to face crisis. We're all going to experience pressure and experience times of need. And listen, this is God's design for us. It's not an accident. It's his plan. Because it's through this process that we come to know him, not just in theory, but experientially as the good God that he truly is. It's in times of crisis that we see his glory on display. There's a challenge for us in this story as well. The story of the man in the wilderness shows us a people concerned with their physical condition, with their need for food. But it shows us a God who is more concerned with their spiritual condition, their need to know him and trust him. So again, we have to apply this to ourselves. What is it that weighs most on us? Is it the physical or the spiritual? Do we prioritize the relief of of physical discomfort? And uncertainty and security in this world? or do we prioritize the spiritual need to know God and to see Him rightly as He is? What gets to the core of your soul? Is it the cares and concerns of the word or of the world? Or is it the word of God? God says to us today, "When are you going to keep my commandments? When are you going to trust me enough to obey? When are you going to trust me enough to obey, husband? to lead your wife and your children, regardless of how they respond? When are you going to trust me enough to obey, Christian, when it comes to obeying the governmental authorities that have been placed over you? When are you going to trust me enough to obey me, Christian, when that's going to mean disobeying the governmental authorities that are over you? Will you trust me enough to obey? Or will you be controlled by your fears? Will you be controlled by your desires? Will you be ruled and dominated by external pressures? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses writes to this new generation, telling them what had happened here. He says, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's God's word that we need because it is in God's word that we see his glory and that we come to understand his instructions for us. And he invites us there and commands us, trust me enough to obey. This is life. We don't live by bread alone, but by what we find in God's word. So will you hear his word today? Will you listen? Will you trust? Will you obey? Will you respond to God's word in faith or be ruled by your fears, the cares, concerns of the world? Christian, God calls you today. He calls you to choose to live in daily dependence on him. Listen to his word. This is life. You know, we were created to be hungry. Created to hunger for physical food, yes, but there's a deeper hunger that we were created with as well. A deeper need we have. Our deepest need is God. We need to know him as he is, to trust him and obey him, and scripture tells us that this is where we find life. Our hunger for God, really that ought to be the driving force. Listen to what Jesus says, in Matthew six thirty one, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Maybe some of us today need to be reminded where our focus really needs to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It doesn't mean we walk around with our head in the clouds, oblivious to all the things going on in the world around us. No, it means that our heart is set on Christ. It means that our priority is Christ and his word. It means that our greatest commitment and our greatest concern is the will of Christ and his purposes for us. That's what we're all about. In reality, we are often grumblers. We're often fearful. We're often obsessed with our immediate circumstances and forgetful of God and His glorious provision and His perfect promises. I'm so glad that God, in His grace, loves grumblers and that God, in His mercy, provides for our needs. He provides for our physical needs, yes, daily, but He's also provided for our deepest spiritual needs the problem in our heart, and he did this by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 6, 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, these people who had just been fed by the miracle of the loaves and fishes, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They didn't really get what Jesus was saying. So Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Friend, you were made, created to be hungry. And that hunger is something that nothing in the world can satisfy. But God says, I will provide bread for you so that you will be filled. And Jesus is that bread, the bread of life. God provided manna for Israel in the wilderness, but he has given us his son. And in the son, we find life. It is in knowing Jesus that we come to experience redemption and satisfaction, joy and peace all the things that the world around us cannot attain all the world that that all the things that the world around us cannot provide the kinds of things that the world around us cannot duplicate it's only found in christ perhaps you do not know christ Maybe you're here today and you've never come to Jesus in genuine repentance and faith. You've never laid aside your sin and come to him and said, give me the life that I need, the life that only you can provide. Give me this bread. Today, I want to call you to repent, to turn away from your sin and to come to Jesus in genuine faith to turn away from the empty pursuits of the world, to stop being obsessed and concerned with the things here that apply pressure to your life and realize you have a deeper need, and it is to know God and be rightly related to him. That only comes to us in Christ. So come and believe. Come to Jesus and receive God's provision for your soul, sent down from heaven to us, the one who came to give us life. The Jesus we worship died for grumblers. He died for doubters. He died to save complainers. Jesus came because he loved and had chosen to save those who were fearful, those who were frustrated. He shed his blood to cleanse us from those sins. And he rose again to open the way to heaven for us. And all who believe on his name will experience God's provision of salvation. His saving grace, the kind of grace that forgives our sins, the kind of grace that fills our souls, the kind of grace that meets our daily needs, the kind of grace that changes us, the kind of grace that sets us on a new path, a journey towards further transformation, a journey that leads to eternal rest, a lasting Sabbath, the promised land that is heaven. That comes to us through Christ. That is what God provides us in him. So come and eat. Come and believe. Saints, know this and be comforted today, you who believe. This God who has saved us, who has broken the shackles of sin and brought us up out of slavery, he has not brought us out only to abandon us, to allow us to be crushed, to leave us alone, to be consumed. No although we may face times of great crisis and danger and need, those are times of opportunity for us because our God has promised to be with us and to provide for us and to keep us to the end. So let's resolve to keep our eyes on him, to see him, the Lord of glory, to keep our eyes on him until he brings us home. Let's trust him daily and let's look to his word for life with a willingness and a desire to obey all that he commands, coming to his word with a heart of expectation that he will be our daily bread. Yeah, there's things going on out there. There's real issues, dangerous issues, big problems. But we will look to the Lord, the one who will be what we need, the one who has given himself to us. We can trust him. Let's do so. Let's trust him and demonstrate that trust and faith by simply obeying the things that He calls us to do. Heavenly Father, it's humbling because it's humbling to talk about these things, because we're so human and we're so much like the nation Israel. We're often short-sighted. We often experience amnesia where we forget what you've done for us and the things you've promised. Lord, we are sinful people who are often weak in our faith, but we come to you today with a heart of confession, acknowledging where we fall short, but grateful that Jesus has come to give us life. Jesus has come to atone for our sins and our failures. Jesus has come, and he is our daily bread. Lord, we have you, which means we have enough. There's nothing this world can take away that even compares to what we have in Christ. As the old song says, you can take the world, but give me Jesus. That's enough. Lord Jesus, you are all we need. You satisfy. So Lord, strengthen our weak faith today. Deepen our conviction that you are enough. Strengthen our commitment to, and our desire to obey all that you have laid out in your word. And Lord, we do ask with expectancy that you would provide what we need each day today that you would meet our needs, and tomorrow, and the day after that, and next week, and next year, until you bring us home or until you return. Lord, we thank you for these stories that you lay out in your word, stories that teach us, stories that really turn the mirror on ourselves so we can see what we're like, but also stories that magnify who you are so that we can see your glory. So Lord, use this scripture, these truths today, use them in our hearts, Lord to make us who you want us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.